This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Seven. Jack scanned a news report from the previous day. Estella Rowan, a 63-year-old adult entertainer, was reported missing yesterday by her employer after she failed to log in at work for her shift that evening. Jack felt a slight chill as she realized that the evening in question was the night of the Bruges robbery. The reports were not connecting the events. Surely Bruges had its share of crime, and what would a prostitute have to do with a theft of electronic parts? Jack connected the events, though. The theft had occurred only three-quarters of an hour after Rowan's system had been accessed. Jack had to try and find Rowan, who might be able to lead her to the people who had contacted the missing woman just before the heist. Jack cracked her knuckles and settled into her chair. She pulled up her homebrew three-dimensional graphic representation of everywhere net and followed the path she estimated that the intruders had taken after they left the Bella system. It felt a lot like the good old days, when she had first begun work on the 3D system, and Jack felt herself fall into the old groove. She had spent many a long night slipping through the tiny passages and crooked labyrinths of various networks, many of which she really had no right to wander. The old thrill returned, though now she had age and experience behind her. Somehow, it didn't seem to make that much difference. She saw herself gliding through what appeared as green glowing tubes, individual packets represented by lighter green dots. She moved with the dots, up, down, and around the snaking, interconnected pipes. After a few moments, it felt like walking through the neighborhood where she lived. To be truly honest, it was easier. Jack knew the networks as if she'd lived there all her life, which, in a way, she had. She arrived at the representation of Rowan, a nicely painted wooden door, and Jack knew the woman would be offline. It's pretty hard to be missing if you're broadcasting your position to everyone on the nets. Jack pictured herself delicately knocking at Rowan's door, her own system pinging Rowan's offline system in a way that could force her online if the configuration files were set for emergency access. Of course, that didn't work. Certainly the authorities had tried that route already and failed. Still, Jack was a firm believer in trying the simplest solution first. Her experience as a programmer had taught her that. She mentally regrouped and set about attacking the problem differently. She found one of her professional tools that was represented as a shimmering key. It was essentially a lockpick for various types of systems. She set it to work and watched as it conformed itself to the inner shape of the lock. Eventually, it glowed green and appeared to resolve itself into a solid shape. Jack took hold of it and turned. The lock opened and the door swung slowly inward. Rowan's system was pictured as a large house, the kind almost no one actually lived in anymore. Jack found herself in the foyer and could see into a large parlor that was obviously used only for entertaining. The doors to the private rooms of the home were closed, and Jack knew they would be locked. She didn't want to open them, knowing that such a breach was highly illegal, but more importantly, Jack couldn't justify doing to someone else something she would hate to have done to her. So she contented herself with poking around the more public areas of Rowan's system. The public address was on display above the door, 
and some other basic contact information could be found by looking around the place. Rowan's place of employment, the Shadow Room, was listed along with its address on a list of public contacts tacked to a bulletin board near the door. Her calendar of public engagements was also available there, as well as a few publicity images of her body she probably used for work. Rowan was an attractive and trendy-looking woman, if the publicity shots were to be believed. She had short, spiky, iridescent hair that gave her face a look that was both intense and soft at the same time. She looked youthful, with no visible wrinkles on her dark brown skin. She'd also clearly had her hands enhanced, as the fingers appeared slightly longer and more slender than would have looked natural. She was, of course, naked in most of the shots, and often bent into a contortionist's pose. In the few images where she was dressed, she wore very fashionable dresses of light-flowing and almost translucent material. Jack looked at the photos for a long time, as if the images would tell her something about the woman, other than how to pick her out of a lineup. Eventually Jack moved into the parlor, but found little of interest in there. Rowan clearly didn't have many visitors to her system, and Jack suspected that her business transactions would occur over the Shadow Room's network for security reasons. Jack guessed Rowan didn't have many friends, since it was her employer who reported her missing, and there was no evidence that anyone had been here in recent times. Jack checked the guest book, and saw that Rowan herself hadn't even accessed this part of the system in over two months. Jack wondered what her own public space looked like, wondering how similar she and the missing woman might be. Jack had decided that she could not justify breaking the locks into Rowan's private space, but she felt compelled to approach the doors anyway. She touched the door off the parlor, and let out a tiny yelp as it swung open. Jack staggered back and fell onto the settee in a thump. She could see into a kitchen-type area, and was shocked by what she saw. It looked like a cyclone had torn through the room. Furniture was upended, the wallpaper was torn from the walls in great strips, holes were gouged in the walls and floor. Jack was torn between a desire to go offline immediately, and a strong sense of curiosity that begged her to investigate. She moved cautiously to the doorway, and called Estella Rowan's name loudly. "'Hello?' she shouted into the wreckage. "'Is anyone here?' She stayed in the doorway. "'My name is Jack. I'm a security officer, Class 5. I'm here to help.' She felt like an idiot. There were no signs of life inside, and although it went against every nerve in her body and any sense of ethics she had, Jack stepped over the threshold and entered Estella's mind. The disaster area that was once represented as a kitchen was a maelstrom of destroyed items. Jack stepped carefully through the rubble, looking for anything that might leave a clue about what had happened. She couldn't even imagine what this meant. A mental breakdown? Some sort of catastrophic software meltdown? Jack was just grasping at straws, trying to make sense of this situation. She continued to call out in the hopes that Estella would answer, though she was beginning to fear that there wasn't anyone there, which was a frightening concept. Integrated systems ran off the electrical current generated by the human body, and therefore would shut down when the body died. It seemed that the system was working perfectly well, even if it was in some sort of horrendously broken format. Estella must be alive, but there seemed to be no sign of consciousness inside. Jack sifted through the rubble, finding broken china, holes in the walls, and nothing whatsoever indicating what had happened. It could have been a fight, Vandalism, some other kind of upheaval. Jack realized that the kitchen wasn't going to answer any questions, and she would have to look further in the house if she was going to learn anything. 
She stepped up to the kitchen door and timidly pushed it forward. It creaked open, and Jack saw a continuation of the mess she was standing in. It was a living area that was actually used for living, and it was strewn with books, clothes, and equipment. Almost everything was broken or ripped, and Jack got the sense that it was destroyed in two stages, the first being some kind of a conflict, and the second being blind rage. The way things were thrown around and pushed away from their usual places indicated a fight or perhaps showed the path of someone trying to escape from the room. But the vandalism could not have been a natural side effect. It had to have been deliberate. Jack could see, however, a slight path in the rubble. She followed the trail of fallen lamps and ripped curtains to another door. She cracked it open and saw a bedroom, in the same state of disarray as the rest of the house. The mattress was pulled off the bed and tossed aside, after having been torn open. Jack thought there must have been pillows once, judging from the piles of polyfiller on the floor. The path she was following continued through the pillow wreckage. Jack followed the trail, which was becoming more obvious now, to a closet door. She pulled it open, and at first couldn't comprehend what she was looking at. There was little other than the haircut and skin tone that connected the mess in the closet with the woman in the images Jack had been studying in the foyer. The body was bloody and battered, though on closer inspection, it was definitely Rowan. She looked as if she had been at the losing end of a fistfight with a knife salesman, and Jack leant in closer to look at the wounds. She felt her heart nearly stop as the body moved, twitching and staggering, and fell on top of her. Jack screamed and flailed at the woman, who moaned and writhed, but did not fight back. Her body was almost completely slack, except for some twitching and drooling, which caused Jack to panic even more. Jack was strong, but she could not budge the weight trapping her. Every time she shoved, Rowan would make a horrible noise, and another body part, slick with blood, would rub against Jack, trapping her further. Just as panic threatened to cause her to lose consciousness, Jack remembered that she was in a simulation. She quickly switched to code view, caught her breath, and fought the gorge rising in her throat. She slowly regained her composure, but couldn't stop shaking. She felt as if she could feel the blood on her body still, though she was dry except for her own sweat. She scanned the code, trying to forget the image of the pretty woman in the photos turned into the vacant, corpse-like thing that she had recently encountered. She forced herself to focus on reading the code, and recognized the signature of a human consciousness, but never like she had seen it before. She copied a random sampling of the code and searched for a similar pattern on the nets. All of the hits she brought up were medical articles discussing comatose patients, and a few classified documents. Jack scanned the medical papers, and matched the pattern of the code she had taken from Estella as similar to the brain pattern of people who were in long-term comas. This made sense. If Estella were in a coma, her system would be unable to respond to pinging and there wouldn't be any activity. The coma theory didn't explain the mess, though, and it certainly didn't answer where she was physically. Jack checked the sources of the classified documents. They were branded ESA, the European Security Agency. Jack knew she didn't have the skills to get access to them. She wondered if there was another way. She switched programs and called up her three-dimensional museum interface. She walked past the welcome desk and coat check, past Greco-Roman friezes, Rodin's sculpture The Kiss, Kershaw's hollow painting Sunlight, and other priceless masterpieces, and found herself in front of the usher. She spoke a few words of command, and soon heard the chime of notification at the other end. Adrian, you there? 
Hey, yeah, I'm here. Long time no chat. What's up? Plenty. I'm switching to double encryption, okay? Now I'm really interested. Okay. Key 73? 73. Jack selected double encryption and pulled up her key number 39. Long ago, Jack and Adrian had agreed that if they ever had to discuss keys, they would use a number in the clear that they would translate to a different number using a simple mathematical formula that they could do manually. Add 5, divide by 2. It wouldn't make a big difference to a dedicated attacker, but it made things more difficult for everyday eavesdroppers. Once the encryption was loaded, Jack reloaded the channel. Hey, Adrian? I'm here, so spill the goodies. I got embroiled in something at the office, which started off being a not-so-run-of-the-mill intruder and has ended up with a missing woman who may be in physical danger. The trouble is, pretty much none of it is any of my official business, and I have shit for authorization for any of it. Cool. Kind of. Mostly it's just wacky now. I'm trying to figure out what happened to this woman, and all I've got is a live log from her consciousness. I ran a search of the code from the log and came up with some classified documents from the ESA. Aha! Yeah. So you were wondering if I had any inside poop for you? Yep. I know you have access to that stuff from some of your posts on the Blinking Twelves. I don't need to see the dogs. I just want to know how this girl's brain patterns connect with their stuff. It could just be references to comas, which is the only other stuff I could find that matched. Were you planning on telling me about this little adventure if you hadn't needed my help? Sigh. I'm sorry, eh? It started off being just work, you know, and I didn't want to share it, really. It was fun, and I hadn't had an adventure in so long. And then, next thing I know, it's a day later and I'm in some chick's brain and it's just totally out of control and- Whoa, Jay, it's cool. Just be cool. Sorry. It's been a fucked up- Jack glanced at the time and nearly had a fit. It had been nearly 24 hours since she got up, and that was after only a few hours sleep. Sorry, it's been a fucked up 40 hours or so. Jesus, you sound like a wreck. I am a wreck. I need sleep. Okay, send me the code and I'll see what I can do. Thanks, eh? Really. I mean, I really appreciate- Aw, can the crap, Jay. Just get some Z's and I'll talk to you in 9 or 10 hours. Same channel, okay? Sounds great, eh? Thanks. No worries. Catch you later. Adrian broke the connection and Jack went offline. She ran her hands over her face and realized that she had been running on nothing but adrenaline. She shucked her clothes on the floor, not even bothering to stuff them in the autoclave. She had a quick shower, blew off, and clambered into bed. She fell asleep to fitful dreams of being alternately trapped under the corpse of Estella Rowan and being chased through the glowing green corridors of the network by an unseen force. And through it all, she kept seeing the recurring image of the dazed face of the man in the streeter's alley. Zero, 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 one, one. The upgrade salon was worse than useless. Those idiots don't know their asses from holes in the ground. I start to describe my symptoms, and the animated mannequin that works the front counter just cocks his cute little head and says, Gee, I've never heard of that. Maybe you should visit a psy doctor. Then goes back to talking with his stupid co-idiot about their fingernails or something. Fuck him and his fashionable little nails. A psy doctor. As if those quacks are going to help me. I'm not suffering from delusions of insignificance or something. I'm fucking losing my memory for Christ's sakes. Now I don't know what to do. Son of a bitch.
You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at D-A-R-U-S-H-A dot C-A slash Beautiful Red or subscribe for free at Podiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at Fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at Magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website, send email to darusha at darusha.ca, or call the listener line at 206-339-8577. Thanks for listening.